everyone. Welcome back to our Streaming Science podcast series. I'm your hostess, Savannah Ogburn from Apopka, Florida. I'm a senior majoring in agricultural education and communication with a specialization in communication and leadership development at the University of Florida. Streaming Science is a student-driven multimedia science literacy program connecting you to scientists and scientific concepts to enrich your everyday life. You're listening to our Science of Superstorms playlist. Superstorms are complex with multiple scientific and social layers. In this podcast, I'm investigating how rainfall from hurricanes affects Florida and its residents. I chose to discuss this topic because I'm interested in learning how we can better prepare for future hurricanes. I spoke with Dr. Karim Matches, a climatologist and an associate professor in the Department of Geography at the University of Florida, who studies tropical cyclone rainfall production. Listen to the interview to learn more about how tropical cyclones form, how hurricane rainfall production affects Florida residents, and how we can better prepare for future hurricanes. Um, So Corinne, uh, thank you so much for being here today. Um, So could you just tell me about some basics of your research here at UF? The main focus of my research is on uh, tropical cyclones. And tropical cyclones, that's sort of a garden variety catch-all name for hurricanes, typhoons, tropical storms, tropical depressions. Um, So you'll hear me refer to tropical cyclones. Uh, But a hurricane has a very specific definition with a maximum sustained Mm -hmm. wind speed. So not all tropical cyclones are hurricanes, but all Mm -hmm. hurricanes are tropical cyclones. What's the definition of a hurricane? Well, it depends on where you are in the world. Um, But here in the Atlantic Basin, which the uh, National Hurricane Center in uh, Miami, Florida, has the warning responsibility for, Um, The definition of a hurricane is a sustained one-minute speed anywhere around the storm um, of 74 miles per hour. And so we classify then hurricanes by their maximum sustained wind speed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a tropical storm is 39 miles an hour sustained, and then a hurricane, a category one, would be 74 miles an hour. Um, And then what we call a major hurricane or category three, where the damage, so the damage um, grows sort of exponentially with the wind speed. So a major hurricane category three, that's about 111 miles per hour. How does a hurricane form? There's actually uh, some main ingredients that the storm has to have. Um, And then there's a little bit of variation on that depending Mm -hmm. on where the storm is. Um, So they all need to be an environment that's capable of supporting the deep convection that they need to intensify. So they need to have uh, uh, high sea surface temperatures because as the winds speed up, they extract um, energy through, they evaporate. Uh, water from the sea surface and then they condense it up in the atmosphere to make clouds and precipitation. So you have to have enough energy available in the the near ocean surface to do that. You need to have sufficient moisture in the troposphere, especially in the middle of the troposphere. The tropics, there's a lot of areas that are fairly moist lower down, but we need these clouds to be able to grow nice and tall. And so if the atmosphere is dry, that's going to cause the cloud to then evaporate right away. We need to, in terms of dynamics, um, we need to be able to have what's called the Coriolis force to organize the outer part of the storm. And so this is a force that's caused by the Earth's rotation. Mm-hmm. And this force is zero right at the equator, and it gets larger as you move towards the poles. 
And so this is going to help rotation to form within the storm. And this will help the rotation be counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere, clockwise in the southern hemisphere. And so this is why the storms don't form right on the equator. You need this little bit of organization to mm -hmm. kind of help the, the air to, to converge in towards the center. Then you also need um, an absence of uh, what we call wind shear. And so wind shear is when the airstreams um, move either in different directions or very different speeds near each mm -hmm. other. And so this creates a lot of chaos. And then the other thing we need to get it all started is we need something to give it a little bit of spin in the middle, and we call this vorticity. So that's um, being able to get a little bit of, of rotation around a point. Um, and so we need there to be some kind of pre-existing disturbance that has a little bit of the spin momentum with it. And that's the criteria that tends to vary depending on where you are. Um, this spin can come from the monsoon trough. That's more common in the Pacific. In the Atlantic, um, it's more common to have, if you've heard of the thunderstorms that come off of Africa and then move these what they call easterly waves that then move across, you know, we may get 50 to 70 of these waves in a given season, but we don't get 50 hurricanes. So not every single one of them is going to spin up and actually form. The outer bands of hurricanes and how those kind of play a role in the arrival time of hurricanes. Could you go into more detail about the anatomy of hurricanes and how that kind of affects um, hurricane landfalls? So um, hurricanes have sort of a, a spiral shape to them. So this is because if you think about if, if, if it wasn't spinning, the air could go straight into the center where there's lower pressure mm -hmm. and try to fill it in. But because of the spin that's involved, it actually has to travel in a curved path. And so you get sort of a spiral trajectory of the air from outside the storm to the edges of the storm as it works its way around towards the center. And so as the air streams from outside the storm where there's more area come together as they go in towards the storm, you have convergence. So they come together and when the air streams converge, they can't go down into the water. So they have to go up. And so that's what starts to cause the uplift to happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's where those rain bands are going to start to form is where those areas of convergence are for the tropical cyclone. And so um, as the, the middle latitude systems that move from the west towards the east start interacting with a tropical cyclone that's sort of moving a little bit in the opposite direction. It's coming from the east or from the south and moving into that zone. It starts to get affected by that, um, those westerlies. And so that can kind of help stretch the rainfall out ahead of the storm. Mm -hmm. And so often what we're seeing with storms that are undergoing that type of interaction is that there's a lot more rainfall on the front of the storm rather than behind the storm. Um, it's much more complicated than that, but we, you know, we're just trying to keep it uh, sort of a simple. So this is why sometimes it can be difficult to predict when the rainfall may begin that's associated mm. with a tropical cyclone. And so, um, so it's what some of my research is trying to do is to look at the time of arrival of the outer edge of the rainfall and just to figure out like, so how often does it coincide with the 
time of the wind arrival, how often does it come earlier than the winds come. Um, if the air is fairly dry, maybe the winds kick up first and the rain doesn't come right away because it's being evaporated even though the winds are still strong. Um, so you know, there can be offsets in the times of arrival of these things. Um, I know a lot of people talk about wind damage. Uh, why is rainfall in hurricanes so dangerous? Uh, for residents and Florida and everyone that's being affected by hurricanes. The question of how much rainfall is going to trigger a flood is highly variable. It depends on uh, your local conditions. So are your soils already saturated because it's been a rainy month? Are you in an urban area with a lot of impervious um, surfaces so that the water has nowhere to go? Um, are your drains blocked on your streets with leaves and clutter and so they're not going to drain and the neighborhood's going to fill up with water? Um, you know, if you're in an area that's served by pumping stations, can they keep up with the rain rates that are coming in or can they not pump it out fast enough? You know, this happens in New Orleans um, because they're below sea level. Um, and so, you know, how much rain do you need to have before a flood is triggered is, is highly variable. So it can be very difficult to say, you know, five days out, well, this area is definitely going to flood because of the storm. Um, I mean, if you're going to get 20 inches of rain, there's going to be a lot of flooding. But some places might get flooding with, you know, four inches of rain, but it fell in a very short amount of time and the, the runoff can't handle it. And so you're going to get, you know, flash flooding in that instance. Um, and so we need to understand more about some of the variation in, you know, where could we expect some of these flood events or what are the local conditions that, you know, so that people in those local areas can be a little bit more aware of what's tending to happen. So I know we talked about rain bands. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the rain bands that Irma produced? Um, I know you were talking about how rainfall arrived earlier. Did that happen in Hurricane Irma? The, so the rainfall, um, the storm was a bit more organized uh, before it made landfall. And so it started producing rain first along the upper keys. Um, and then the rainfall started over Miami and some, some of the lower keys as the storm sort of moved into the area. Um, up here in northern Florida, of course, there was a bit of delay before that got up to us, but it actually started raining here um, fairly early on. And it was a little bit intermittent at first because it wasn't part of the, um, how do I put it, like the permanent outer bands. There was just some convergence with the wind ahead of the storm. Um, and, and like I said, this can happen where you've got the moisture coming on, but there's a, sort of a, a boundary over the land that, that helps the air to uplift. And so you get some rain, but it may be steady. It may be intermittent. Um, so we started getting some intermittent rain that lasted a couple of hours. And then finally, we just started getting solid rain, but it wasn't quite yet the, the bands that were connected to the storm. It was still this convergence that was going on ahead of the storm. But now it was consistently raining and raining and raining. And so we ended up getting, you know, 10 to 12 inches around here, um, starting way early, starting, um, you know, even around the time of landfall in the Key. Um, rain was starting to accumulate in central and northern Florida. So Irma was just a very, very large storm, one of the largest storms that we've seen. Um, so looking ahead to like future hurricanes, how do you think Florida residents can better prepare for hurricanes when 
taking into account rainfall and those uh, rain bands you were talking about earlier? Well, it is important to know, um, even for, for storm surge flooding as well, you need to know the um, elevation of where you're at. And so whether that's your house or condo or apartment or where you're parking your car if you don't want it to be flooded. And this is something that a lot of people don't know. You know, maybe they just moved there. It's just not something that you think about needing to know all the time. Um, so you kind of need to know where your uh, water sources are. So are you close to a creek or a stream? Um, is your property located in the 100-year flood hazard? And so, um, for example, Alachua County has a map that you can find online. And so I think most counties do. I know yeah. uh, FEMA has these maps. And so you can type in your property address and you can see if you're in the flood zone or if you're kind of right next to the flood zone. Um, so that tells you you need to be kind of thinking about that. And also, you can also look to see if your potential escape route is in the flood oh. zone. If it's not a flood that. zone, the road <laughs> might be closed. So you might need uh, to leave earlier to make sure before earlier. the rain starts. And if the rain is starting 30 hours before the storm comes, you're going to need to get out of Dodge a lot sooner. So uh, understanding the history of where you know, you're located um, is important. You know, if you've got neighbors that live there a long time, they remember. And so you kind of get a sense of like, okay, if this type of event comes, I think we should all leave. Um, I mean, flooding is really difficult. Um, it can start before the storm comes and it could actually last for quite a long time. Um, it depends on how much of the watershed received the rainfall and as it drains into the bigger and bigger you know, water systems that are trying to move the water out. If most of the watershed got really heavy rainfall, it's gonna take a long time for it to drain all out. And so, I mean, we saw extended flooding from Irma for several weeks. Um, and then it rains some after it, which you know, doesn't help the situation. Um, and so it can last a long time. How did you get started into researching tropical cyclones? Uh, what drew you to this field of research? Well, I've always had an interest in weather. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to like to watch like weather forecasts on TV. I did my master's research out at Arizona State University, and when I was out there, what I was looking at were the thunderstorms that formed during the monsoon season out there, and trying to figure out the shape that's left behind from the rainfall, I call them rain prints, mm -hmm. um, and what makes sort of a, a longer tracked storm versus a shorter kind of pop-up storm that doesn't produce as much rain, like which conditions associated with that. Um, and so I was looking at sort of the shapes that were left by the rainfall. And I wanted to apply that to tropical cyclones. And I didn't find a whole lot in the literature at that time. Uh, there was a lot more funding and focus on intensity prediction and track prediction. There's not as much on rainfall prediction at the time. And so I wanted a way to use these very geographical spatial analysis kind of techniques to look at where the rain is occurring. And then it was like, well, not just where it's occurring, where is it in the storm? Because if we understand how it's arranged in the storm, that controls then where it falls out onto the ground. So I was always interested in art as well. And so that's where my like of shapes comes in. Um, so it was a way to kind of combine my art and science backgrounds, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and then being a geographer is great because geography spans so many different disciplines. 
Um, but at the heart of what we research is this connection between like people and these processes. And so whereas, you know, people in other scientific fields are really researching the phenomenon itself, geographers want to know how that phenomenon affects people as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got that natural link to how do we better inform people or how do we do this to protect people? Like people are part of the story in geography. My final question is, what is one takeaway that you could um, give to Florida residents when preparing for hurricanes or tropical cyclones or tropical storms? Um, What is one takeaway you could say for them? You need to have your own personal plan for your personal needs. Um, Some people have medical needs that need to be met. Other people, um, you know, they live on higher ground. Maybe they're not as worried about flooding, but they're worried about trees falling on their house. Um, A big problem that we had in Irma was so many people evacuated. And, you know, it's it's easy to see why, because the storm was so large and was going to impact so many parts of the state. Um, But a lot of times what they want you to do is move to a safe area, but not necessarily leave the state because the roads can't handle everybody from the state leaving the state. Um, And so, I mean, a phrase that uh, the National Weather Service kind of likes to say is um, hide from the wind and run from the water. So you definitely have to evacuate the coastline if there's a storm surge threat. There's no two ways about it. Um, Mm -hmm. With the energy behind the waves, you could knock a house down and then everybody inside injured, drowned. and then if you're right next to, you know, a major body of water that could flood, you know, that would be a good reason to not be in the area. Um, whereas if you're just worried about, you know, tree damage, you just want to shelter like you would for a tornado, like get in the safest room of your house. You don't necessarily have to drive to another state. Um, but, I mean, we're learning more and more about, you know, how people respond to these messages through some of the work our social scientists are doing, our hazards mm-hmm. geographers. Um, and we're trying to figure out better ways to communicate with people what the appropriate steps would be for their different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is an individual decision. You need to know enough about your situation to make the best decision possible. So just because your neighbor is doing something doesn't mean that's the right decision for you. Um, and so I try to teach my students, like, you know, learn enough about a subject you're really interested in to make your own informed decision. So don't just do what your friend tells you to do because they're not in your situation. And so, you know, if everybody gets at least a little bit of knowledge about their situation, where they're located and has a plan and communicates that plan to, you know, who needs to know, then at least we might be a little bit more coordinated. Um, but Again, it's down to, so I, like, I just can't tell one person what to do because they may have a, a very unique situation. So. So, so just know your own plan and make an informed decision. Yeah, so yes. plan ahead is, is like number one, plan ahead. So there's some things you need to plan well ahead for, like when the hurricane season starts, having some extra supplies on hand and knowing where you would go if the storm's coming from this way versus this way. Um, but as the timeline gets closer and you get more information about a particular threat, you may need to reassess. Thank you, Dr. Matches, for joining me today in discussing the impacts of hurricane rainfall. I hope you enjoyed listening to our guests and learning more about hurricanes and how they form. 
the impacts of hurricane rainfall and why it's so dangerous, and also how Florida residents can better prepare for future hurricanes. I'm your hostess, Savannah Ogburn. Stay tuned for more tracks from our Science of Superstorm series on StreamingScience.com and connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.